Thank you to Cheryl and to all our volunteer singers this morning. That's one of my favorite hymns. So continuing our summer theme of connections, I want to start out by looking at the really big picture. If you're like me, you've been marveling at the amazing images coming from the Webb Space Telescope. The Webb Telescope allows us to look deeply into the universe and deeply back into time. We can see what some of the universe looked like a short time after the Big Bang, as an unimaginable explosion of energy first began to be organized from chaos into the universe we know now. The telescope's infrared view shows us massive clouds of dust and debris, black holes, and millions of beautiful galaxies. The shapes of those galaxies depend on the interactions of hundreds of millions of stars, young and old. And some of those stars have solar systems. The planets in a solar system and their parent star make up an interdependent system. And that system is interconnected to other stars and their systems, millions of them making up just one galaxy. We gaze out at the vastness. We learn to identify what is there. We gradually gain more knowledge. From using technology to look farther and farther into our universe, we have learned that everything out there is connected to everything else. It's all interdependent. We could say that the universe is connections. Modern physics says the universe is more interconnected than we can even begin to imagine. It tells us that particles can be connected through quantum entanglement which synchronizes their particle states. So two particles are somehow connected and affect each other's behavior outside of our concept of space and time. They affect each other clear across the universe from each other instantaneously. Don't ask me how. Space and time themselves are revealed not as absolute or even as relative, but as emergent properties of an even more fundamentally interconnected reality. Now, since all that makes my brain threaten to explode, let's plant our feet back firmly on this little planet. On the evolving Earth, a few billion years ago, life appeared and started its own evolution. Eventually, there were lots of life forms, but they were not evolving individually, but in relation to all the other life forms, their own species and other species, as well as to Earth's changing conditions. They formed what in our seventh principle, we refer to as the interdependent web. Species living together in one type of environment made up an ecosystem, and that ecosystem interacted with surrounding ecosystems. Of course, this is the way it continues to be. Living organisms depend on each other. Changes from outside a particular ecosystem can also have consequences within that system. If a large number of massive volcanic eruptions happen, it can affect the climate of the entire planet for at least a few years, having a cascading effect within ecosystems. Again, everything is interdependent. It's all made of connections, relationships. So eventually, humans evolved. They developed large brains and the ability to communicate and pass on knowledge. If we had time, we could spend quite a while tracing the unimaginable number of connections within each human being. Brain synapses and nervous system working together with muscles and all the other systems of the body. 
Besides the electrical connections, all the millions of chemical reactions going on in our bodies all the time. We are connections. Our consciousness first operates, also operates by making connections between and among us as well as within ourselves. Our connections with our own pasts, our stories that we carry along with us, have a huge effect on how we perceive and interpret our lives. <clears throat> we have a relationship with everything we've experienced, and the kind of relationship we have with our past experiences often determines how we feel and think, what we say and do. How do we react to what happens to us? It's a dry sort of morning. <clears throat> Are we in denial or fighting against our past experiences? Do we have knee-jerk reactions when something triggers a memory of an experience? Have we befriended our experiences, learned from them, accepted them as part of our story? <clears throat> our relationships with past experiences very much influence our current lives. And with everyone around us also dealing with their connections to their pasts, it's easy to see why the webs we are part of can so easily end up in a huge tangle. All right, moving on from our human psychological connections, our early ancestors understood, to some degree, that they were part of a natural system. They knew that if they harvested too many of a particular plant this year, there wouldn't be very many to eat next year. As humans developed technology, they gradually developed more control over their environment. Sometimes this had unintended consequences and caused local problems. But the world was big and human num numbers were small, so they generally could just move on. Many ancient religions taught that all things are connected. Later, other religions came along that tried to separate humans from everything else. We were spirit, separate from matter. We were put here to dominate. Everything was put here to be a resource for us. Humans in the Western world became disconnected from nature, except through domination. Those religions also taught us to see the world as dualistic. Everything is A or B. It's matter or spirit, with us or against us, with no understanding that the world is much more complex than that. When I was about 11, I read about scientists warning us of overpopulating the Earth and about what would happen if we allowed advertising to continue to fill us with artificial needs, leading us to use more and more fossil fuels to fill those needs. In college, about 1969, I learned about warnings of climate changes we could expect if we continued on the course we were on, more extreme heat waves, wildfires, violent storms, flooding, like we've seen this week in Kentucky and other parts of the world. We didn't pay a whole lot of attention, did we? I also read warnings about the changes that happen in behavior when too many people live jammed together too densely. It's easy for others' lives to seem less valuable to us. Violence becomes more common as our ability to connect, to identify with other people breaks down and as the mass media create a divisive, competitive, consumer culture. Many people no longer see themselves as part of a web of humans living in community with others. 
There has always been an undercurrent in this country of distrust in government and the larger community, but recent fears of extreme weather and political disruption have led to even more people deciding to buy a gun and figure out how they or their family can try to survive. This hyper-individualism, leading people to be even more disconnected, uses up energy that could be helping communities work towards solutions. How do we accomplish this has been replaced by which side are you on? Of course, there are other cultures that have mostly escaped the excess division and violence that we see in ours, but they fostered community and connection rather than the self-focused ego gratification that so many Americans worship. Some of these cultures have ancient religious traditions that have helped people see their interdependence. I don't need to tell you which cultures tend to create happier people. But even those cultures find themselves at the mercy of climate change. We have blown past thresholds and are well on the way to producing a world with constant disasters and millions of homeless people looking for a safe place. Global warming has changed from being conceptual to being experiential and is now a global shared experience. We're all vulnerable together now. The last few years have made our human interconnections more obvious as the COVID pandemic also created a global shared experience. Yes, it's been worse experience for some than for others who were able to isolate ourselves and still survive and who had access to advanced medical care, supplies, and vaccinations. Whether we like it or not, our connections with people on other parts of the globe will increasingly impact our lives in both positive and negative ways. We are all vulnerable together. We feel vulnerable when extreme weather affects our everyday lives. I felt sort of vulnerable Wednesday night when our power went off for a few hours. I was wondering if it was going to come back on before things got hot again, but it did. We feel vulnerable when people we love are threatened, when our livelihoods are threatened, when our way of life is threatened. Author and poet David White wrote, Vulnerability is not a weakness, a passing indisposition, or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not our choice. Vulnerability is the underlying, ever-present, and abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to be something we are not, and most especially, to close off our understanding of the grief of others. The only choice we have is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely as misers and complainers reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. How do we deal with this vulnerability? 
Well, first we must recognize where things stand and not deny it or hide from what's happening. If we don't want to think about the situation, we can't possibly be part of a solution. And we have to have compassion for ourselves and recognize our own grief for what has been lost or what we fear we will lose. You are only one person and you are overwhelmed. We need to do what we can to understand what is being done, what is working, where the opportunities are. This is most effectively done in communities. In terms of climate change, we can try to understand how local ecosystems function and who is working to keep them healthy or regenerate them. Environmentalist and activist Paul Hawken said, we are all amateurs when it comes to saving the planet. But working together as communities, we are not powerless. We are vulnerable together and we have power together. But the question is, how can we learn to be in community with people who disagree with, about, with us about what is happening and what should be done? Well, we know a few things. We know it doesn't work to throw facts at people in a judgmental manner. It doesn't work to shame folks and try to make them feel guilty. That doesn't change anybody. We have to see them as worthy of our respect, having inherent worth and dignity. Building community requires listening to try and understand each other. As Scott Lindstrom told us in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, listening deeply to people's stories helps us to make a connection with them. That connection helps us to have compassion for that person. If we can dissolve our sense of separateness, we can empathize, experience the world from a different perspective. As Reverend Ben has been helping us understand over the last year, you can't have community if you aren't really listening to each other. From there, we need to be curious and ask questions. And the way we pose the questions and interact can determine our success. Just reiterating the problem doesn't work. People are more likely to respond to us if we share stories that come from our hearts. We have to be able to see and express our own thoughts and emotions rather than just being and living those thoughts and emotions. So we have to create conditions where people feel safe to share and explore ideas, to be vulnerable together, to tell their stories and to hear differing views, where they feel safe to change their minds, perhaps. If we share our stories of what is working, what people elsewhere may be trying out, we are more likely to find common ground in community building. If we can find some regenerative action that we can do together, the connections of mutual benefit are cemented. And although we may still disagree about things, we will have more of a sense of community, of working together on the same side. I think it's extremely important to listen to young people at this time, many of whom are in despair about at the state of the world, and to find ways to energize their actions, whether it's toward slowing climate change or gun control or any of the other world problems that weigh them down. How do we convince them that voting matters? How do we get them more involved in imagining a better world? What is the everyday way of being that creates the world they want to see? The interconnectedness of the universe is being revealed to us through science and math. 
but contemplative practices such as Zen meditation have been revealing this relationship with everything for centuries. At the start of intensive Zen training, one of the rules presented is treat everything as you treat your own eyes. We all know how gently and carefully we would treat our own eyes. This attitude puts us in right relationship with everyone and everything we encounter. We could express this as treat everything, everyone and everything as part of yourself. It's the only way we can successfully live together on this earth. Paul Hawkins summarized it well. This is a watershed moment in history where all of humanity has come together, whether we realize it or not. The heating planet is our commons. It holds us all. To address and reverse warming requires connection and reciprocity. It calls for moving out of our comfort zones to find a depth of courage we may have never known. It doesn't mean being right in a way that makes others wrong. It means listening intently and respectfully, stitching together the broken strands that separate us from life and from each other. It doesn't mean hope or despair. It calls for action that is courageous and fearless. We have created an astonishing moment of truth. The climate crisis is not a science problem. It's a human problem. The ultimate power to change the world does not rely in our technologies. It relies on reverence, respect, and compassion for ourselves, all people, and all life. I would like to end with a quotation from the 14th Dalai Lama, who said briefly, our ancient experience confirms at every point that everything is linked together. Everything is inseparable.